Welcome, everybody, to the Journeyman Firefighter Podcast. Uh, I'm Kyle Samson. With me today is Grant Schwalbe from Estero Fire Rescue, and our guest today is the Gary Lane from Kent, Ohio. Uh, I've known Gary for a few years now. I uh, consider him a good friend. He's a backstep firefighter uh, in a town that's a pretty interesting dynamic. Uh, I'll let Gary explain more about his background and how his department operates, but it's, uh, it's a pretty bustling little little city college town and I, I was definitely interested into the dynamics of how they fight fire and I uh, rode along there one time and was hoping we'd catch some some work but we didn't but uh, Gary probably give a little better explanation of it but you know Gary why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody hey everybody um, <laughs> hey uh, thanks Kyle and uh, Grant um, yeah that was uh you make my uh, intro sound way more interesting than it than it actually is. Uh, uh, I'm a fi- fireman and a and a paramedic in the city of Kent. It's in uh, northeast Ohio, uh, between like Cleveland and Akron, that area. And uh, I guess real quick, so I started in '97 as a volunteer uh, out west. And then, you know, one, two, three, bing, bang, boom, here I am. And uh, I've just been at Kent as a career fireman since, uh, well, uh, yeah, actually, I just had my 16-year anniversary there. So uh, that was in January. So, yeah, that's how long I've been there. And, um, you know, small, small place, very, I mean, small, small department, uh, two, two firehouses, uh, seven guys a day minimum is our staffing. Uh, city is about 40 to 50,000 people and 25 square miles. So just real quick, if you guys haven't heard that one before, don't want to look it up. Um, yeah, backstep firefighter. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I ride in the back of a, a fire truck when I'm lucky enough. Uh, but we are like a lot of other places and we cross staff. So, you know, we're medics, we're on an ambulance. Um, you know, Kyle, you were at the firehouse, <laughs> uh, when you rode with us and, um, you know, I think uh, Station One has like, uh, I want to say given the day of the week, but it's like 14 pieces of apparatus. And then usually there's only four guys working. Uh, um, so that's that gives you an idea. And we do, you know, there's ambulances. So we'll hop on the ambulance when EMS comes in. Uh, if the fire tone drops first, then we hop on the fire truck and we head out for that. Um, but we, you know, like everybody, um, like, like I guess just say, like most fire departments in the country, uh, I think uh, we pretty much just do everything uh, to some degree. So that's kind of kind of my thing. Hopefully, that was just quick quick for you. Gary, what do you think uh, you're you're best known for? What, what what's your what's your thing in the fire service? Uh, probably just swearing a lot. For one, uh, I'm trying to work on that as my kids are starting to. Uh, grow a little bit older. Um, uh, you know, Grant, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess uh, maybe just a, a small a small town fireman type guy um, that uh, tries to train as much as possible to, uh, you know, kind of live up to that, that standard, or uh, I don't want to say oath and sound all high and mighty, but, uh, you know, basically try and live up to the standard that I think people expect us to perform at regardless of uh, where I came from. So sometimes, I guess, uh, I could be known for speaking up as an advocate for that small town guy. Um, I would definitely 
not claim to be the best at anything. Um, but uh, I've been vocal about that. Uh, I don't think that our staffing or small town or any, anything like that, I don't think that's an excuse uh, to not be good at all the basic things of the job. Um, and so I've been uh, pretty vocal about that in the past. Um, so probably known maybe a little bit for that. I don't know. Uh, I've spoken out about, <laughs> about some, some dumb stuff that I see from time to time. Of course, that's sometimes just my personal opinion or maybe limited experience with maybe uh, some techniques or uh, tools or just some of the dumb stuff that some places tend to do. And I, and I've been part of that myself. So I make as many, many mistakes as uh, anybody else out there. So something I'll have to say uh, that I don't know many people do better than you is the sharing of information. And uh, you helped us out a ton when we were trying to get away from automatic nozzles in engine work uh, and trying to match a good hose with the good nozzles. We brought you down to help, you know get some of the fear mongers uh or the the thoughts of uh oh my gosh we're going to a smooth bore how are we going to do it ever live uh, and you helped us do that but the funny thing since you've done that i get more people say hey gary referred me to you and you know i just i see everywhere you sharing your experience can you talk about that a little bit because that's just awesome uh well uh thank you grant uh one you were uh kind enough or crazy enough i don't know which one it was i don't you were hot boxing some indigo reefer in the you know daddy chevy impala in the driveway i don't know what you were doing but you were kind enough to have us down um and, and uh talk about some nozzle stuff of which i only knew about because we had gone through some similar things not necessarily with the uh, automatic nozzles um, but definitely along the same lines of switching nozzles and um, some equipment and hose lines and, and things like that. So thank you for having us down and, and taking a chance. Um, it's been a couple years ago, I guess. But um, to be honest, man, sharing sharing the information and knowledge, um, I don't I don't think I'm the best at it. I think uh, you know you guys had um, obviously you had fields on uh, weeks ago or or a couple months ago, and um, I think he probably should get the credit for being one of the best at sharing information and knowledge. Um, I maybe what I see is I what I see is um, where I wish I would have been in uh, in 1997 when I started. What I wish would have happened in the beginning half of my career, uh, you know, those first 10 years, I um, I didn't know there was this whole other world. Once I got to see this other world of you know, people outside of my bubble and, you know, some of the classes and people I got to meet, I was like, well, man, like, I wish I would have had that. So how can I keep a, you know, 2019 version of myself from wasting those first 10 years? Well, you, you do it by sharing as much as you can. Um, and uh, I generally try to be open and honest with that. Uh, some some people don't don't care for that. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm not the most professional in the way I deliver a message. Um, so you can take that how you want. But um, you know, sharing as much as I can, especially for the things I've already been through. So in the case of Astero, you had us down talking about you know this this automatic nozzle, uh, this fog 
particular fog nozzle, this particular smooth board. And um, well, that's easy. My department had some fog combination nozzles and solid bore. We had some issues from personal experience. I, I remembered it and I paid attention to, to some of the problems we had and it's very easy. Grant and his department has this problem. No problem, man. Here we go. Step one, two, three. I'll just explain how it worked for us. And you can kind of cherry pick the things that um, would meet your department and, and what you're going through. And so with everything I do, um, I, that seems to be where it's easy. Um, you know, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on uh, some, some tech rope system um, and then go out and try and teach it. Um, if I had to help with a, you know, an academy class and, and uh, based on an IFSA essentials rope chapter, well, of course I, I could do that. That's, that's a basic thing. And I would, you know, like everyone says, stay in your lane. Okay. Well, you're talking to, to students that have nothing. Well, I can show them the PowerPoint. I can offer a few things that are within my scope. And outside of that, I'm definitely going to refer them to somebody that I've seen that is that, um, you know, that, that leader in the industry or, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, subject matter expert. Um, and that's, that's the easiest thing to do is just say, Hey man, I don't know. I wish I did. I know a little bit, but I don't know. So maybe give this guy a call or email this guy because they work at this place, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then just help that connection happen and then get the hell out of the way. And then hopefully you know, somebody will call you back later and be like, oh, hey, I learned this. And be like, no shit. <laughs> Thank you for calling me back and let me know because, you know, I went to one fire in the last month. Thank God you shared that with me because I would never know to look for that or, or listen for that. Um, so, Grant, I think, I hope that answered your question. But I, I, as far as sharing knowledge, I just, um, I, I don't know what the um, ego thing is. Like, just be like, hey, man, I used to think this way. Uh, that was totally fucked up. Then this guy shared this with me. It changed my mind. I started doing it, and it's totally applicable to my small little department and me, you know, and my my personal uh, mentality or or physical ability. Dude, how? how what, what, what? I got to wait thirty years to learn that? No, man. Just give the dude a shoot shoot a guy a text message and help him out. It's easy. Something I learned from you and. Uh some other guys that I've seen online um, is taking notes. Um, I love that you keep a notebook and do you want to talk a little bit about training and runs with and without reflection? If you don't, you know, sit back and think about what you just did and how you can apply it to your department, you know, maybe hit yeah. that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I try to uh, uh, take notes and, and write stuff down to myself. Um, I'm not the smartest guy. I don't have the best memory. Uh, so I, I do try and write some stuff down. Um, usually it's some, you know, crackpot idea, uh, something, oh, I, I like this tool we have, but what if, uh, you know, I ground off this edge and, or tried it like that? Well, I'll, I'll try and draw a picture on a thing and then maybe, you know, do whatever. Um, we go on a call. We We go on a fire. I'm like, you know, the few fires that I get to go to, because again, I, I'm not some tough guy. We, we, we catch a fire here and there, um, like anybody. Um, but, um, I, I'm not, you know, <laughs> like the, the joke, the fire factory. Well, Hey, heads up to anyone. Listen, 
I don't work in a fire factory and I've never claimed that. So just side note to that. Um, but as far as going to a fire, like, Hey man, if I get one fire this month, I'm really going to try and pay close attention to it. I'm going to come back. I'm probably going to overanalyze it if anything. Um, and I, uh, sometimes my captain, my my officer is a, a great guy, Dave Moore. If anyone ever gets to meet him, he's a hell of a guy. Um, he always tells me I'm a, I'm a little bit too pessimistic and a little too negative, which the why he's so great is he's a little too optimistic and a little too positive. So <laughs> he, and, he and I probably make a, a halfway decent mix. Um, but I'll come back and, and uh, you know, it starts out as like, yeah, this was good. This was bad. Oh, damn, I totally missed that. Um, and then I got to like, think like, boy, if I would have just slowed down. So I'll write some notes to myself. And then um, usually I tell myself, oh, I'll go back and I'll look at this. And like six months goes by, I haven't looked at it. Um, so I'm a little scatterbrained with some of that stuff. Um, but it is nice. Like I, I've actually, you know, talking with you guys, I set out a giant cup of coffee in front of me. And uh, I actually have my, my little, one little notebook here, Grant, sitting in front of me. So um you know it it is stuff like that and i think um you know as far as guys wanting to learn from their own experience just take quick notes because it's easy to forget uh write as much as you can down uh sometimes you can even do it on your phone uh, i know my i have a, a, a iphone it's um you know not the newest generation but it's got like a voice memo thing um it's also got like a little note thing you can type notes to yourself um so that's really easy uh you know right when you're at work if you don't you know have a lot of time to get down and you know go you know deep into thoughts with jack handy and get you know candles burning and, and a glass of wine you know writing notes to yourself in the middle of the night but um I, <laughs> i'm not gonna do that um but i think everyone should do it i think um I think nothing but good can come out of taking notes and, and documenting your experiences and, and what you screwed up and how you might correct it. And yeah, man. Okay. So one of the things uh, Grant and I wanted to touch on was, um, was pedigree or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, for me, probably Zisk and for Grant, it's probably the same as it is for you. No one's heard of Newport news fire department for the most part. Not many people have heard of Astero. I mean, I'm probably the only reason people have heard of Kent is because of either the university or, you know, the Kent State massacre or something like that. Um, and, and there's a lot of talk out there about, you know, oh, who's this guy to tell me this? Or um, what does, you know, who, how can he really help me out? I know I've been, you know, one of those guys that gets called out on it just as much as everybody else's. But what's your thought on pedigree and, you know, is it good to have bigger name guys or smaller department guys or, or really the role of pedigree in, in the fire service as far as, you know, training goes and, and teaching guys? Uh, yeah, well, you know, again, this is, comes from my perspective, and I would just say I don't have a pedigree. I, <laughs> I got nothing. Um, I, I didn't have any family members or friends that were firemen. Uh, I mean, I don't have the best education. I barely made out of the high school. Um, like I, again, I work for a small department. We catch a fire here and there. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, the, it's not the, you, you guys had, um, uh, the, the gentleman from, uh, squad, the squad company in Chicago, uh, uh, recently, right. 
Um, so obviously, you know, squad company five, you're like, dude, you could be the dumbest guy in the world, but you work for squad five. Like, Hey man, you're good to go. Tell me anything and I'll believe it. Uh, and obviously that may not be the best example, but, um, you know, I don't work for that. I, I have to earn every, every inch of it and not to, not to pick on any, um, you know, a, a, a guy from squad five, actually that, that was a great show. And he was, uh, just a very humble, uh, actually he's probably too humble with his experience. Um, what was his name? Um, Larry, Larry, Larry McCormick. Uh, yeah, that guy, man, what, what a, what a guy. Um, I, I'd love to meet him someday, but uh, anyway, to the, to the point of question, um, you know, uh, if, if I'm going to just basically sit in my firehouse and wait for Larry McCormick from squad five to come to me and impart knowledge, like I'm going to be waiting a long time because we, we're not a place that he's going to travel to and we don't have a budget to pay him to come in. So I'm never going to get to know that. So I have to do it on my own. I can't rely on that. Um, you know, to, to work in a big city, um, you know, uh, uh, FDNY, you know, 10,000 plus firemen on the street. Well, Hey man, um, I, I don't work there. I don't have that experience. I, I've got my experience in my little town, uh, and in a, the few places that I was at before that volunteering part-time, um, you know, like that's what I've got. And I would say, you know, to, to the point of the small town guy, don't get a chip on your shoulder about, oh, I'm from small town. We don't do it that way. Well, I, I can guarantee you that I do some things probably identical to the guys at, at Squad 5. We'll just, we'll just stick with the Squad 5 example because those guys are probably out right now going to a job and kicking some serious ass. And guess what? They're probably doing very basic techniques, simple things that work under stress that they've done a million times. So I'm going to do that in my small town environment. Why would I get a chip on my shoulder uh, of a small town versus big city? You think that's dumb. Okay, that's just dumb. Okay. Um, but on the other end, there are things where, you know, maybe um, the guys in that, that big city, you know, they're riding around with, uh, you know, FDNY, they got six guys on a rig, uh, or, or maybe five if they've been cut down. And, uh, you know, their, their sock companies riding with six. And you're like, well, good grief, man. Like that's d damn close to my entire shift for the day, you know, like, and, and we cross staff. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you say we're working with seven or eight guys, but two or three of them are going on an EMS call. So the fire comes in and we're running, we're running out the door with four guys. And then our next mutual aid could be, uh, you know, at least five minutes out, if not 10. And so, you know, there are some things to be honest. And, not, I, and again, I don't mean to sound, um, cocky about this because I, I don't want it to come across like that but I would say that sometimes folks without the pedigree without the big city name behind them um, without all the you know big you know you're in the in the firehouse with the engine and the truck and the chief and the you know your your next due engine is 90 seconds out well hey man guess what that's not most of the country and uh, these small town guys to be honest sometimes I think you know, because they have to do so much with so few resources, they got to be even more squared away. They've really got to move with a purpose and have their shit together um, versus maybe the big city guy uh, uh, or girl working on that company. They've got, they, they, you know, they turn around, they have five more guys sitting next to them. 
and they know in 30 seconds they're going to have five more and in 30 seconds they're going to have five more and so and like dude like that sounds awesome but at the same time um you know selfishly i actually want less help uh and, and of course, this is very selfish when i say this i want less help because i want to do all the cool stuff when i get to the fire and if we have 15 guys on scene in 90 seconds i'm maybe going to get to do one thing and then basically you know shag some line um or, or do whatever but when you work in a small town man like one fire is like um you know you you well I, you know again I, I don't mean to talk be a tough guy I, I please don't take it that way but we just had a fire <laughs> you know like okay we just had a fire uh wet mutual aid um old old main street usa style you know four-story uh brick building blah 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 they had um you know people on scene already were coming in you know probably 10 minutes into this thing and uh not really sure what's going on and a little bit of confusion like there always is and it, it just at this one fire um you know i i personally got to force several doors do a search um kind of uh uh get eyes on the roof we actually went up on the roof at one point uh help stretch a hose line um help i mean like like that we did like multiple jobs and there was more to it than that but we did multiple jobs and that was just what i got to do well that i only get to do that because all the places that are around me everyone is short-staffed um and so on the talk about pedigree like hey man some of these small places like they actually have some guys that are very squared away in experience and, and i'm not saying i'm one of them i'm just saying like the opportunity is definitely there and so if you're just going to hang your hat on that you know one time i transferred into the you know the the rescue company and you know captain morris offered to pour me a cup of coffee and then i transferred out a month later like i don't buy it like you you may be a great fireman but but just and that's awesome but don't get an attitude about it you can you can be humble and you can be nice and share your knowledge but there's no reason to be a jerk to somebody because they don't have your, you know, your, uh, you know, same lineage or whatever you want to call it. Sorry. That was a little bit of a ramble there. Sorry. No, it's good. Um, as far as instructor wise, you hit it. You don't, I believe you don't necessarily have to have a pedigree, uh, to be an instructor, but you know, you see it, uh, you get ready for firemanship. Uh, Portland next week and seeing the guys and the effort the instructors are putting in ahead of time for a good student experience and, and we did that we taught uh, the search the, the first search class at FDIC with you and those first few days of setup I mean you know it's just about busting your butt to give the most realistic experience for the students you know I, I almost think that more as a instructor pedigree <laughs> being willing to put that effort in than where you come from Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, I think you need a mix. Um, I don't think you should speak. Um, you know, I, I don't think you should present yourself as like uh, I'm a again that subject matter expert when it comes to. I'll give you a personal example for me. Uh, uh, oh, I would never claim to be the subject matter expert in VES. Um, I, I get to do it a handful of times. Um, I wouldn't say that I am the best guy at it. However, there's gonna come a time when 
uh, I do have a little bit of experience that I can share on the subject. And if someone's brought me in and asked me to, to, to teach about it, well, that they, they made that choice. And I'm not going to come in and bullshit anybody. I'm just going to say, hey, man, you know, last year I got to VES twice. Hey, maybe I'll, I'll share anything I can. You might want to reach out to Jerry Smith, who probably VES twice last shift uh, out of Baltimore. You know, and, and another crazy, hardworking guy, um, really humble, very just just a genuinely nice person. And it's like, so again, you know, back to uh, a little bit ago, you talked about sharing knowledge. There's another guy I would reach out to, and I would consider like, hey, yeah, sure, I can. I Gary, <laughs> yeah, Gary can teach VES, and and it can be. Um, uh, a legit class, but everything I do is going to be based on a, a limited experience. I'm going to be honest about that and I'm going to share basic things. I don't see a problem with that. And then at the same time, I'm going to tell anybody in that class, uh, anybody that asks, Hey, if you want to know more and from some hardcore pipe hitting dudes, here's a, a couple people that I've met. This is who I would reach out to if I had a question uh, about something. This is the class I would take. Um, and, and I agree with the thing about the realistic training, um, and, and the guy setting up that does, I mean, Hey man, I, I'm not like the, the prince riding his, you know, white stallion in a town demanding that people bow to me and just like everything's laid out when I roll in. Um, if guys have prepped ahead of us coming to do a class, Hey man, that is awesome. That is so awesome that anybody did prep work. And right now the Portland stuff that's going off behind the scenes is quite honestly, it's unbelievable. The people and the effort that's going into this um, and Cody, uh, you know, Cody Trestrail with the brothers in battle and the, and the PDX firemanship, like dude, between him and his wife, I mean, oh my God. I don't know if there's a better uh, role model of what you want to be like when it comes to um, a kind-hearted and hardworking uh, person or, or, or the two of them people. But um, with that training stuff, like you, you got to do that. And, and, and I think that helps you also, um, you know, maybe identify a little bit with the students who, who they're in your class. You know, they might have a question that has nothing to do with your knowledge about a hose line or nozzle technique or a, a body position that you, you're comfortable with, they may have a question about how you built the door prop. And I think it's great uh, to be able to be like, hey, dude, we've been building shit for 10 years. Here's what has not worked and here what has. Here's my phone number. Call me if I can help with anything. I don't, I don't see any. I, th I feel like that, that should just be a given. I don't see a problem with anything like that. Um, going to, we just talked about like the, um, the positioning. You just mentioned that. Uh, we were in just outside of Baltimore, I guess, in October, sitting with uh, Kyle Ramegas from uh, Texas, and we talked about body positioning and search and, and looked like a couple of weirdos in, in the lobby of the hotel as we drag each other through the <laughs> lobby. Um, but you're a big proponent of using the same body positioning for, for all different things and keeping it simple. You want to touch on that and give some reasons why and, and brief some people on, on your thoughts on, on all that stuff? Um. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one, I guess before, I mean, hey man, kudos to uh, to Kyle uh, Ramagus. Have you say his name? Like to Kyle um, down there in Texas, dude. I don't know how he does it. I, I mean, 
I mean, he, unless he has like, there's three of him as a twin, uh, you know, triplets that all look the same and, and just are pushing out this stuff. But man, what a, what a dude. He's going to these classes and, and, and hosting classes and um, Texas has got some good stuff going on, man. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, but yeah, so it's about the position thing, uh, Kyle, dude, uh, one, I'm a, I'm a very simple person and I wouldn't say, um, everybody should do what I do. Uh, I have had some knee surgeries. I've had some injuries. And so some of what I do is based on that. Um, I'm not, uh, the strongest guy physically strong. Um, I don't have, uh, you know, a, a big sports background other than skateboarding. And, uh, I, you know, I was probably mediocre at that. Very, very good at crashing and hurting myself. Um, but, uh, other than that, you know, but, uh, so, but with that though, um, from a, a simple minded approach and, and the position you're, you're kind of talking about when we were, when we were fooling around over there at, at the hotel with Luca, um, that position is a common position. Uh, guys have different names for it. Um, it's, you know, basically it's a lunge. It's, it, you know, just call it what it is. It's, it's a lunge. One knee is up, one knee is down. And then, um, depending what you're doing, maybe the hose line. Uh, as an example, comes across the the high knee side, across that high hip, um, and that would be your hose line position. Uh, so that uh, would be called what? What do you guys call it? I've called I called it a crush because I would crush it on my rib cage. Um, uh, brush a couple years back, brush actually corrected me. He told me it was called the lock off. I was like, I don't even know what the lock off is, dude. Um, but um, you know, I, I think. Uh, he he uh brush gave credit to uh, jay camella about that particular position maybe showing him but then of course that's probably uh somebody else in um you know connecticut or florida or texas some somebody else has a different name for it you know but it's uh so hose line over that that lunge position hose line over the hip uh where that high knee is up that's position great great position whether you you roll in and crush the line into your hip, whether you have the line up a little bit more in your armpit, either way, basically the position's the same. Okay. Well, if you look at um, uh, and I used to call it a little bit of a different name, but Fields ha of course has that clamp slide, uh, uh, the clamp position. Well, it's exactly the same as the other one. It's just that the hose line comes under your low side instead of over your high hip and high leg. It comes under your uh, your low side, uh, your your ankle. You know your foot's hooked and, and you're good to go. So two things, same position. Okay. So then you're like, well, how if I was in the backup uh, position, uh, whatever you call the backup fireman on the hose line, I probably have one knee up, one knee down. The hose line's in a certain position, and I move like that. Okay. So now that's three things. Okay. Well, what if I'm doing a search? Okay. Well, from time to time, you're probably going to be walking. Yep. Guess what? Maybe even in zero vis. There I, uh, my name's Gary. And one time I walked in zero vis. Okay. Like I admit it, um, guys do it. It's maybe not the best practice and I've tripped a lot, um, and, and missed a few things that I'm embarrassed to say. I crawl a lot more now. So enough about that. But, um, in that crawling position, again, one knee up, one knee down, maybe you got a tool, um, with you or you, your hands on a flashlight and you're kind of in that, that again, that three point stance, same as the other hose line stuff, but you're searching. Okay. You go to force a door. Um, you know, you're, you, uh, the, the Halligan, uh, the guy on the Halligan, 
he's maybe got the bar uh, set uh, just below the uh, lock set or, or the doorknob. Well, that puts the bar a little bit lower on the door. So you're probably, I mean, some guys are going to, but the, the best option probably is to take a knee and swing the ax to the hit because it squares off the tools and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, if you want a good forceful entry class, you know, they're, they're out there, pl plenty of guys. Um, but squaring off the tools uh, when you swing is great. And again, you're swinging an ax, but one knee is up, one knee is down. There's that position again. You're like, dude, you, I mean, you're, you follow me, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. So, and, and of course, so here, here's the one that you, you, you were privy to there, Kyle, when we were, we were out at the, the conference there, um, which is uh, dragging somebody or carrying a, uh, a small kid uh, it, it, as a victim. Um, well, now, and, and there's some, some certain twists to it, and there's also certain limitations uh, based on your own physical strength, how the person presents to you. But I know Grant, I maybe Grant can chime in after this regarding search stuff and, and victim stuff. Um, I'm not strong, so I need every, every bit of help I can get. Um, but that back to that technique, that high, uh, high leg, low leg, whatever. Well, if you've got a, a reasonably sized person, let's say under 200 pounds, uh, adult, give or take adult size, not too heavy, uh, not too slimy and burned up and, and nasty. Um, but just, a, a you know, smoked out, choked out, unconscious on the floor, uh, you know, it is somewhat blacked out conditions for you and you come across their legs. Um, they're wearing blue jeans. They got their, their, their hiking boots on. They just got in, found their house on fire, ran in to try and put it out, choked out, went boom, down on the floor. Well, in we come, their feet present first. You, you grab their legs, you, you go to pull on them and you're like, damn, I better keep their head low. Cause the last couple, you know, agonal respirations they take, at least they're somewhat cleaner at the floor, hopefully. Um, and their legs come up over your high hip. You go into that three pant, uh, three point, uh, stance again. And now their legs are over your high hip. You wrap your arm, um, and you kind of crush in as tight as you can with their legs over your high hip, exactly like you did with the hose line. Follow? And so that is, there's some limitations to that. And, um, you know, you're not going to do it for 50 feet with a giant obese, slimy person with their skin coming off not going to work. Naked and slimy, um, you need to have other plans for it. And, and uh, again, back to some more experienced guys, um, you know, that squad five conversation, um, the, the guys in Baltimore, any, anybody anywhere is going to know more about this than I ever will in my life. They're going to tell you it's <laughs> whatever it takes, dude. It, it's not going to be pretty. There's no technique at that point. It's just going to be a shit show. But in that basic thing um, where you could maybe get a grip and, and things are kind of working out in your favor, why not at least go to that familiar position and try it out? And um, of course, if none of this makes sense and maybe it doesn't, um, I, to anybody that's listening, just, just reach out to me and I can try and explain it, make a video, take a picture. Um, I, I'd be more than happy to try that and also explain where that particular technique falls short um, and you have to start to tweak things. Um, so I, ho hopefully Kyle, I, did that help, uh, a little bit maybe? Absolutely. Um, I think people need to understand that, that simplicity is the best in this job. And sometimes we try to get it too 
crazy because when we train or people are in the fire academy, the stressors that are involved aren't real high. Um, your brain is not, you know, pegged out. You're not, you know, heart's not beating 180 beats per minute. Your, your stress level is not through the roof. So making it complicated um, isn't that bad. But when you are in the shit and you come across somebody that you don't expect and, you know, there's fire blowing down the hallway, what do you do? You need to be able to revert back to that basic movement. Um, and I've changed my whole search, um, hose line, all that stuff, uh, victim movement, all, all to that same thing, Gary. Um, it's changed the way that we operate in the fire ground. Uh, my guys, I was just transferred, but before we were, we were talking about, you know, our fire academy tells you grab a victim, bring them to the front door. Um, and that's the culture of the area. It's just that's what's taught in the state fire academies, in IFSA, and we're starting to push now that make these short movements. Use these movements that, you, you know, the one where you're talking about cramp, you know, clamping the knee, legs down over that, that back high leg and shifting them into a room and rescuing from, them, from that room. Close the door and get them out the window. Um, so I, I know Grant yep. is big on, on search culture with that too, and, and your class at DIY Engine Company um, – Tell us the importance of searching off the hose line, um, those quick movements to rooms outside um, of, of the basic, what we're taught in the fire service and, and what you think the fire service is going to eventually go to. I mean, eventually there's going to be a point where we need to incorporate this in the recruit training, but it seems like right now we're, we're on a collision course between your traditional, that's not, you know, I'd drag them through the whole house and bring them out the front door and the, well, he's got to go to a window and, and, and get them out. What are your thoughts on, on, on that kind of stuff? Um, well, <clears throat> again, I, I, I mean, the good firemen, you know, the, 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 the guys that have worked in these urban areas and been going to fires for literally decades. Um, and yeah, I realized the war years ended years ago. Uh, but let me tell you, there are some places that might as well just say that it, the war years never ended because they're still going to fires damn near on a daily basis. And, and maybe they're not going to six fires a day, but they're, they're at least going to one. Um, those guys uh, and those departments have been doing these, these short movements, and they know the importance of these movements, like you were talking. They've been doing this for a hundred years. So it's again, it's nothing that I... Uh, would think I came up with. Um, I would say in my own little bubble, maybe I came up with it. But to be honest, um, you know, any time in my life, I feel like uh, a little bit of like I had a light bulb go off and I invented something. Well, that lasts a couple hours or a couple months. And then what I end up finding out is somebody's been doing it for fucking 20 years, 20 times better than I have. So I, I had to, I got to check myself with some of these things. Um, but these, these short movements that maybe you're trying to give me credit for, I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's guys that have been doing this stuff forever, and they know that, oh, damn, I got to get this victim in the hallway, and wait a second, it's a long way back to the front door. What if instead I get them into this room and shut the door? Um, dare I say isolate uh, yourself? I, I, I don't want to go down <laughs> that road, but yeah, man, hey. Here, here's a thought, um, get them into anywhere that's better and see what you can do from there. Make a, make a decision. And if you're a guy like me that doesn't have a very deep pool of experience when it comes to really shit hitting the fan fires, 
hey, guess what, man? Uh, I admit it. I need a few extra seconds to make a decision. You know what I mean? Like I admit it. So it is what it is, man. Uh, but these short movements, again, from a, a standpoint of being simple, being um, uh, maybe I shouldn't say easy to train, but but it's simple to get the concept across to somebody, and then it's up to them to, to actually practice it and and put in the repetitions, um, and then learn where the technique falls short. Because Kyle, you're you're um, a bigger guy than I am. Uh, you know, I I don't I, I, how how big you are or whatever, but but you got maybe I don't know 50 pounds on me um, in weight. That's and there's guys that got, oh, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then, then there's guys that are the next level up. They got a hundred pounds over you. I mean, let's be honest. There's firemen out there that weigh, you know, probably 350 uh, or more even. And these guys are still going to be doing a search. They're still going to need to move a, a victim at some point or move a, a hose line or do something. So why wouldn't we take advantage? Uh, a rec- One, admit and recognize human nature, which is we're all going to be fucking lazy at some point. We're all going to be complacent at some point. And um, of course, if you work for a place that's not going to fires um, on a daily basis, um, you need, you know, one time this month or, or one time every 10 days you go to a fire, uh, you need a simple movement, a simple technique that's easy to practice um, re- repetitively, it makes sense to you. You can do it under stress. You can do it in constricting fire gear. Um, you can do it when you're not maybe the guy that's in the best shape. And and I would say I don't consider myself a guy in in, in the best shape. I'm I'm a kind of a, a a six foot skinny guy. I am not what I would you know consider in in great shape. Um, but uh, I. I'm going to lean on these techniques and I'm going to do this short movement. I'm not going to focus on making a 50, you know, this um, knee up, knee down, feet over the high hip uh, drag. I'm not going to do that through a house cluttered with uh, uh, hoarding conditions and tight furniture and debris everywhere. I'm not going to move 50 feet with that, but I can sure as shit make one 90 degree turn out of a hallway and get them into a bedroom with it. Why? Why do I know that? Because I practiced um, uh, with it. Um, and uh, and then I also know where if I come across a bigger guy, I know that I'm going to run out of gas a little bit sooner. I know that my seven-year-old kid who weighs 75 pounds and he's a little bit taller, uh, he, as far as kids go, that that same drag. Here we here we go. Same drag. Anybody that's been through the DIY classes heard me rant and seen our little example of this. Um, but that kid at around 70 pounds or so, and this is for me personally, I will literally like you put them over your high hip, their little body flops right over your leg. Your leg supports the weight, your arm hugs them. I'm not using grip strength because again, I'm not that strong. So I want to try and use big muscle groups and a little bit of technique to make up for my shortcoming in physical strength, being tired, being stressed, whatever it might be. But here's this 70-pound kid, and I know I'm at my limit with him because of his size and weight. Drapes over my high knee, uh, my high leg. His head basically flops low uh, into basically in front of my crotch where he would be head first. My arm hugs. It helps support that head. The head hangs low. It's in where the freshest air is, and we start to scoot. 
Now, of course, if I'm 10 feet from the front door, I'm not going to do any of that shit. I'm going to stand up and carry them out because it's quicker. But deep inside somewhere, you, you got to give somebody a chance. And, and their only chance is, is one, quick removal and fresh air. Um, so with, with the victim removal stuff, I know I'm kind of going off here, dude. But, um, you know, again, but I know the limit of me personally and where I have to tweak things um, with, the, with these simple techniques. And if guys don't recognize how important it is to know these things ahead of time, well, I, I just think you're going to ramp your stress level up when it actually hits you. And maybe it only hits you once in a career, you know, a, a little place like where I work. I may only get one chance in an entire career to make this go right. Um, so my entire base better be simple things that I know I can do and I've practiced repeatedly and I know where they come up short. Uh, in the case of that high leg um, thing, if it's a kid and I put up on my leg, I know right away, like, ooh, they're too big, they're too heavy, I'm actually going to have to go to a drag. Luckily, if they're a kid, they've probably got skinnier wrists and ankles that I, I can probably just do a normal hand, a hand grab. But let's say it's the bigger adult. Well, I may come up short pretty quick if they're over, you know, 200 pounds. Uh, if, if they're bigger, you know, big, big ankles, uh, you know, a, a obese person that's got this, you know, crazy body shape, um, that, that position, it may only work for five feet. Um, and then of course, all the other things in the house that you run into, um, you know, and so with that, you do have to have a plan B and, and hopefully you practice your plan B. Um, but, uh, hopefully that kind of hit on it, Kyle, I, you want to add anything? Maybe Grant could chime in here a little bit too. Yeah, I'd love that you uh, hit so much on the drags. I, I talk in the class that I do that early on, we we were told there's somebody in there, there's somebody in there, and I got about five feet in the door, and I realized I didn't have a plan to get that victim out. It's it's the third edition where they're they got a you know the cheerleader move where they got three people holding one sideways, or they're doing a blanket drag, or they're doing a chair removal. I'm like, wait, this ain't gonna work. But when you talk yeah. to so many people, it's like. Dude, it's just making go time. That doesn't mean you can't practice ahead of time. That doesn't mean you can't reflect this. You know, like it or not, we do EMS runs. And when the big dude falls out of the bed in the trailer and you got only a, a foot and a half between the wall and the bed, he presents head first or feet first. You got to have a plan. So sometimes we can reflect on the EMS stuff and say, what works then? Um, what works for the bigger victims, what works for the smaller victims and heaven forbid they're burned up and they're slippery and we can't get a grip. What's your plan then? Now, not overanalyzing. I just want to have a plan so I don't get stuck in my pivotal moment, you know, the, the Super Bowl of my career. Uh, so yeah. I love that you, you hit all that stuff. Yeah. Hey, hey, Grant, let me, let me tag on to that, bud. Like, you mentioned EMS and, and actually specifically to, to the thing that I kind of taught myself, if, if other guys are doing that, that, that drag or whatever, or, or recognize that three point stance and how many variations you can uh, use it in. Um, but guess what, dude, related to EMS, guess where I had to come up with that plan where I, where I fell short and realized I need a different plan. It was on an EMS run. Guess what? Heroin OD. Yeah, okay. I, I don't work in some tough city. I, you know, this isn't Camden, New Jersey, where I'm at. Okay, dude. It's not Detroit. It's Ken. Okay, but we still get heroin. Okay, guess what? A heroin OD? God knows, one, someone's going to throw a fucking pot of water on them for some reason. So they're always wet. 
Okay, if if they haven't vomited or or peed on themselves, um, you know, someone threw water on them. Um, you know, sometimes they don't have clothes on or whatever. You know, whatever the thing is. But heroin overdoses sometimes you have to move them de depending what they got going on. Well. We had one that the, the lady was in, in a bathroom, a very small bathroom in a small apartment, uh, immediately out of the bathroom, very tight 90 degree turn. And guess what? The lady wasn't uh, a stick thin, 115 pounds, uh, you know, presented with their wrists to me and, and already had a, a drag strap in place. No, she was like barely clothed, soaking wet, and she was shaped like a, a, a giant pumpkin with you know, toothpick legs. Well, guess what? Every technique was out. We, you know, I tried a, a couple of things. I wasn't physically strong enough to do one. Um, and then because of the tightness and everything else, like it didn't work out. And it immediately turned into kind of a struggle, which was a short, simple movements, heave ho type thing to get her out of the bathroom, make the 90 degree turn and then start, um, you know, where we could actually work on her. Now this is an EMS run. But it was, you know, all you got to do is add smoke, add a bunch of dude in, in you know, black moon suits, motherfucking each other in the hallway. That's a fire call. You know, I, I can relate all the similar movements and all the similar aspects of that EMS call. I can relate that to a fire. And quite honestly, back to the, the small town department thing, I have to. I have to relate it. I have to make use of that EMS experience. Um, in this case, as it would go for a, uh, uh, victim thing. Um, but many times, you know, dude, you're just out and you're like, Hey, there's the stairs. I'm only on a, on a, a chest pain call, but I happen to notice that there's a really weird set of stairs in this house. And that's, that, that relates to the next time I have a fire run in a similar type house, maybe the stairs are in that same place. So I think it behooves anybody to, to learn from these things. And, uh, you know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You guys talk for a minute, would you? <laughs> so bouncing off of the search topic, I know one of the things that I, I've been a big proponent of for <clears throat> years now is searching up the hose line. Um, I know at our FDIC class, we had a lot of guys uh, in the station completely not even searched. They, as soon as the hose line stopped moving – they just stood there and stared at the wall um, and didn't take that opportunity to do a sweep. I know that's a big part of your DIY engine class. Um, will you, you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how you guys do it and your point of view of searching off the hose line? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I, I would say I'm sure there's people out there doing all the same stuff we're doing. Um, and uh, we've, we've just been very lucky to, to get out to a few places and, and, and share these things. So with that, um, one, uh, I don't think that any, well, some guys, I guess, would advocate for it. But once you do it, you realize how tough it is to say that I, I, the primary search is going to take a hose line with them and be effective. I think you're fooling yourself. Um, that, that just, I don't think that's the reality. And I think there's guys way smarter and way more experienced than me. Um, th that would back that up, uh, and even more so when you're short-staffed, um, or, or that you know, even a big department. Hey, man, listen, we can relate it to anything. I don't care if the if the truck and the engine both have five guys on it and they're in the same firehouse. We actually have had a few things like this happen. Well, 
they go to pull out to go to working fire, report of people trapped, and the, the engine go, gets out the door first because, of course, it's the engine. Of course, they're going to get out the, the door first. You know, They're not, not sleeping and scratching their nuts and eating meatloaf. Of course, they got out the door first. Then the truck finally gets on the rig, and guess what? Flat tire. This actually happened to, to us at our department. Well, now all of a sudden, those guys you thought were coming are delayed. So even in a big city, you, you could paint the picture, and, and these things are real. But what I would say for these short-staffed folks showing up first with that engine, you're moving that line in. Well, of course, the biggest thing you can do is put the fire out um, and try and get get the danger, uh, you, you know, the dangerous thing that's eating away at the building and burning things up. Get that under control, and then obviously uh, getting a search as fast as possible and getting people to fresh air. That's the next best thing. Well. Not so easy if you only got a handful of people on scene, and then even fewer uh, actually inside the building. So, if you're that that uh, engine, and this is something we we speak to in in our class, uh, anybody that's been through it can appreciate. There's some details I probably try and keep it short here, but there's some details I probably won't be able to hit on. But um, but you know that the nozzle man is moving in. Uh, somewhere behind him, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet is a backup guy uh, trying to feed him a line, maybe put a little S in the hallway. Um, and, you know, again, both these guys are like, hey, man, they said somebody's still in there. Well, I've got a charge hose line on my hand. You know what I'm thinking? Uh, you know, the wet stuff on the red stuff, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's like, that's what I got to do. But I may not be able to put the fire out. I may only be able to cut it off and keep it from extending. Maybe that's the best thing I can do. Well, in your travel time between the front door or whatever door you go in and wherever that fire is, there's these, again, back to Kyle, to your point about the short movement thing. There's these short movements that happen. And again, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt here. We could paint uh, a picture of the conditions. It's hot, it's smoky. I'm unfamiliar with the layout. I'm bumping into stuff. If I go in that one knee up, one knee down, kind of crouched, kind of every whatever, so many feet, I've got to stop and take, get my bearings about where I'm at. Well, this is what I say in the class. We're simply going to take advantage every time there's a pause in forward movement. If I'm the nozzle man or the backup guy, every time there's a pause, I'm going to take advantage of that and try and search. Now, this doesn't mean I'm busting up the hose line and going to do a whole room. That's more of a, you know, I've tapped the fire. I'm at the seat. Hey, you know, Kyle, tell Grant we're good. I'm at the seat. Guys, give me five feet of hose and start the search. Okay, well, that's, that's the traditional. I tap the fire. Guys break off and they do a, a more traditional primary style search. Well, we're not talking about that. Um, you know, we, we get there at some point, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about that initial move, or at least I guess I'm talking about the initial move, to try and get to the fire, to just to find it. Well, every so often, and this is, you know, learning from a lot of mistakes I've made over the years. Um, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say that a few of those mistakes I've learned the hard way, which is going past people that were unconscious on the floor. Hence, earlier I joked a little bit about, yes, I walk in zero viz, not as much as I used to because I've had a few, uh, a few misses that uh, I'm embarrassed about. But anyway, so I've got the nozzle. I'm moving forward. 
there's a, a stop and a start flow and rhythm to this. And I, I used to say there's a little rhythm by numbers method going on here. Um, but every five feet, maybe, I'm, I'm at the pause as a nozzle man just to figure out where the hell I'm going. Okay, and zero viz, yeah. If I take a pause and get low, maybe I can dip under the smoke. If I have to go to my belly as a nozzle man, go all the way to the, my belly and take a look eight inches off the floor and see, oh, yeah, I can see it blowing back there in the corner. Well, there's that pause. Okay, <clears throat> maybe the pause is when I'm flowing water as a nozzle man and the backup position shags a bite of hose and he's waiting. Okay, there's that pause. Okay, so now to just add the search element to either one of those things, all you got to do, well, I should say, that, all that we teach and all that I do now um, is take advantage of that pause literally by reaching an arm out in your immediate like three to five foot area and feeling if anything's on the left real quick feel if anything's on the right okay if I, i'm the nozzle man and i'm like you know grant give me five feet and i realize like you had to run back out to the front to pull a bite of hose in i'm as a nozzle man i'm going to feel off to the left feel off to the right and that is you know, basically, you're basically making a, uh, maybe not in Florida, you're not making a snow angel grant. But Kyle, even in Newport News, once in a while, you probably get one inch of snow. Uh, we definitely do in Ohio. Um, but you're basically just making a snow angel, you know, sweeping your arms back and forth, see if there's anything cool, and you need to investigate a little bit further. And then usually you're just moving on. Um, now, as the, as the backup position, you know, you hear the Niles man hitting it, you feel a little bit of uh, a S bite into the hall or into the room. And then you're waiting for him to make his next move. That's it. Drop low, do your thing. And I search a couple feet. Now you find a couch. Well, <laughs> a light bulb should go off. Hey, dude, people sleep on couches. So in that case, I'm not going to abandon ship totally on the hose line as a backup position. But I'm going to run my arm all the way across that couch and also get low to the floor right next to the couch. Uh, uh, with it feeling, uh, if I could see it, that's, that's even a bonus, but we're talking about feeling. If the nozzle, and again, this is just my personal thing that we're, we're showing and demonstrating to guys. And, and, um, if that nozzle man starts to move, well, I fed him a bite. Okay. So I bought him another five or 10 feet of movement. And if he starts to move while I'm feeling across this couch and he can't move, well, because he needs me to be on the hose line moving, right? Well, Again, there's a staggered stop and start. It's not a perfect system, dude. We're talking about two guys inside where we actually need like seven. So it, it is what it is. Um, but that, uh, I hope that gives some idea. Um, and then as long as guys are on the same page, and I know if I call for five feet and I don't get it, I know two things are happening behind me. One, the guy's gone back out to get more line. He'll be here in a second. Or two, He's off the line by like one foot and he's sweeping a couch or sweeping a bed and he'll be back in a second. And then this is the last part and then I'll shut up. But if anybody finds the victim, you have to call it out. You have to say, I got one. I got a victim, you know, wh whatever it is that, that you say, because you're, you're now going to make a, that next decision. And, and maybe you guys could speak to this a little bit, but 
do you abandon ship altogether? Well, I don't know if you're the nozzle man, like you better maybe call up the backup and say, Hey, I got a victim. And then of course, then, you know, the next question should be what? <laughs> yeah. I said, I got a victim. The next question should be, do you need help? Yeah. Grant, come up and get the victim. I got to keep the nozzle going. Okay. Or I'm the backup guy. Kyle, I got a victim. Do you need help? No, stay up there. I'll be right back. And it's a, you know, it's a 70 pound, uh, uh, you know, seven year old, 70 pound kid. I can scoot him out, dump him in the yard. Hopefully there's a, a you know, the, the chauffeur or the ISP is there. They can start medical care and I can get right back in. Um, Kyle, I'm back. We're good. What do you need? Give me five feet. I got the fire down here on the left. Boom. And, uh, and, and we're back in business. So, um, that, that would be my, uh, my experience, I guess, a limited experience, but my experience, uh, and the things where I've tweaked over the years where we're getting to a point, um, I think that we're pretty solid with this as that understaffed crew. So. And, you know, to speak to that, it's not only the understaffed crew, because if you start looking at stats, uh, 36% of the time, the victims between the front door and the fire. Well, even if you got a search crew, there's a good chance that an engine crew is going to run across them. And as an officer, I need to have that conversation with my firefighter first before that happens. Because we ain't going to be awesome. We're going to like you know, side huddle and, and come up with a quick plan. 6% of the time, that's a pretty high probability. And we might want to have at least a little bit of a plan, uh, what we might mm -hmm. do. I agree. What? Uh, okay, so you're the... Uh, maybe when I first started to get to know who the heck you were, uh, you're this guy that loves some fire tools and hates some other tools. You and <laughs> let's get into tools a little bit. What, the, what made you get into tools and, and, and that kind of thing? Uh, well, uh, again, just like bad experiences, um, not knowing anything, um, and then one day recognizing that, like you said, the third, I learned on the same thing, third edition, it's the essentials. It, it didn't show me actually anything other than, you know, Hey, here's a Hux bar. Like, what the fuck is a Hux bar? Like, no, no one has that. Who, who has a Hux bar? And if they do, who knows what to do uh, with it? I think it? you, I think you, you tunnel I mean? under so, railroad tracks to put hose. That's what I That's what I was that, taught. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, well, that'll probably come in handy for me at some point. But, um, you know, all, all joking about that, like, you know, so I just didn't, I was ignorant. I was personally ignorant and, and uh, probably incompetent about how any of this stuff worked, that it, some of it even existed, how I would use it in a real situation. I mean, I, I mean let's say forced entry. I'm going to tell you right now, we had a door years and years ago, 20, 20 years ago, actually, um, a door that was locked, a fire alarm going off on the other side of it. And I'm, in, I'm a little embarrassed to say, like, we're like, well, okay, well, the door is locked. We don't have a way in. Uh, nobody answered it. Well, I'm holding a set of irons. Okay, well, let's force the door. I don't know how to do that. Like, it was like one of those things, like you, you try like one time and the halogen pops out and then you're like, oh God, I chipped the paint and like everybody freezes. Well, dude, for all I know, that, that, that building could still be burning today for all I know, because guess what? We never opened the door. We, act, we actually said, uh, I guess we're just going to leave. I don't smell smoke. Um, you know, so I had that, some, some of these really goofball experiences. Um, and just to admit how little I knew 
um, early on in my career, uh, well, well, for the first half of my career, um, you know, and, uh, and then you start seeing these tools and you're like, now that I'm learning some stuff that I wish somebody would share with me sooner, I realize how ridiculous some of the tools are and how useless they are. And then you're like, why are they even on the truck? And then, you know, the, of course, the more, you know, and the more you learn and the more you meet guys that are, have true street experience, really just squared away guys. Well, they all use the same, like, you know, basically probably the same five tools. And then there's 50 other tools that are just ridiculous that maybe work one time. But, um, you know, I was the guy that would want the, the coolest looking thing when I had like one month on the job. I want the coolest looking tool because I, I feel like I'm going to use it for something. I have no idea what I'm going to use it for, you know. Um, so, you know, over the years, it's like, well, hey, man, you know, the Halligan is pretty darn near perfect. And maybe you got to, you know, tap it with a file or, or, or brush it with an angle grinder just slightly to, to tune it up to your liking. But Halligan is pretty darn good. Um, so why mess with, uh, why mess with another one? Why not, why not just take the Halligan? Well, then you got this other thing that's got, you know, three hooks and a ball and a chain hanging off of it. And it's, you know, painted a cool color and it glows in the dark and shit. And you're like, Ooh, that looks cool. And you're like, yeah, I was there. I, I used to feel like that too. I was easily impressed by that stuff. And I'm just going to tell you, like, if a guy's going to spend money and some, some guys are spending their personal money, dude, don't waste your money on a tool that looks cool hanging there but once you get in and start trying to hook a ceiling or pop a door or do it like it's totally useless and it's actually it's actually hindering your performance not helping so yeah dude I, i've definitely spoken out against a few tools in my time but at the end of the day you know guys use what they want and if they have a sucky tool and doesn't work guess what you know I'll be, I'll be trying to stand there with a good hook or, or a good Halligan or something useful. And then I'll, I'll say, Hey man, could I maybe give you a hand there with that? And, um, you know, feel, feel good about myself, I guess. <laughs> what have you learned in the course of helping people get squared away with the tools as far as modifying it? We always hear, Oh, you're going to ruin the temper or how do you keep up maintain your tools and, uh, you know, so they're not getting all rusted up on the rig and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, one, I mean, rusty tools are going to happen. Uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, I'm in, uh, Northeast Ohio, so we got salt on the roads and one day it's 50 degrees. And then two days later, it's negative 10 degrees and it's, it's winter time, dude. You know, rust is going to happen. You're down in Florida. You got, you know, coastal air and uh, ocean air blowing in There's salt. Um, you know, corrosion happens. The Kyle's in the same thing. He's on the Atlantic coast, you know? So Rust is going to happen. Don't get bent out of shape on it. Uh, my thing is just make an attempt. Make, make some sort of an attempt to, to take care of your tools. Um, you know, something that's got, you know, drywall and tar on it and your last fire was three months ago. Like, dude, you're not tough. You're just lazy. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> some, somebody needs to clean that. Um, especially in the case of, you know, maybe something that's a little bit more of a precision tool like a Halligan. Uh, for forcing doors, like you need it kind of tuned up, you know, if it's just, um, you know, a sledgehammer with some drywall on it, well, who gives a shit about that? You know, maybe I'll try and wipe it, but you know, I'm I'm not going to go too crazy on that. But, um, you know, as far as tuning stuff, I, I've taken a little bit of flack over the years because I'm not opposed to using an angle grinder, um, certain, certain sanding flap discs or a wire wheel. Um, 
I, I'm not, I've had good experience. I may, maybe other people haven't. Um, but I, you know, do it a certain way, use a light touch. And uh, I haven't had any issues to date, knock on wood. Um, and I always kind of joke when we go places, you know, we take, we're taking these tools that we've used and, and it, you know, of course, door metal door props are like really hard on tools. Um, and we've got the same set of tools, you know, a half dozen sets of irons that we've used for, I mean, some of them we've used for shit, man. I think the ones, the ones like 10 years old and it just keeps coming back for more. And I've had the grinder to it. I've had, you know, I've rubbed it with a baby diaper and, and lit a cinnamon candle and talked sweetly to it in the bathroom, you know, like the tool's been through the ringer and guess what? It, it's fine. Um, you know, if a guy gets in there and, and he's, you know, got the grinder going and the thing's red hot and warped and, and then he forces, you know, uh, 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 a real heavy uh, metal door prop that's all loaded up with wood as hard as it can be. You know what? The tool's going to just not be good. It's going to bend. It's going to chip. It's going to be jacked up. Um, but I, I just think with a little common sense, uh, you know, if your department allows it, there's nothing wrong with touching up your tools. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a traditionalist and you like the wire brush, the soap and water, um, you know, uh, a metal file, Hey, that's awesome. I, 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 you know, I admit it. I actually do that too. A good cup of coffee and a file, a wire brush. That's a stress reliever, man. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to do that. that that's a great time to spend with tools. Um, but modifying them and stuff, I think you, you got to make that thing, uh, good for you in, in your situation and what your, uh, you know, district throws at you. Um, I, I just don't know why guys wouldn't want to do that. Can we finally put this, this old rumor to rest that it's going to void the warranty on the tool that I keep hearing for years, that guys, the guys, the reason they don't, you know, either, you know, modify their, their Halligan or, or the roof hook or something like that. It, is there a warranty on these tools, Gary, that I, I don't know about that, that no one will touch with an angle grinder? I, it just makes and I'll, yeah. I'll curse, it's, it makes no fucking sense to me that that's the excuse that people don't want to notch their tools or yeah. you know shoulder off the the uh, the forks on the Halligans. I, or I did a couple of years ago. I cut the rings. I guess it was made for a carrying strap on the Halligan. I cut the rings off of a few, and people came in freaking out that I just voided the warranty. And I just fucking looked at them like they were the dumbest human being on the face of the earth. Yeah. Well. You know, one, I, I guess there's a warranty, uh, maybe for like Firehooks Unlimited, Bob Farrell up there uh, in New Jersey, uh, you know, they make some good tools. They've got a few wacky things, uh, but generally speaking, I think some of their tools are, are some of the best out there. Uh, I don't know that, you know, if you, you grind notches into the head of a uh, roof hook to, to marry your halogen fork into the roof hook and then the roof hook snaps the next time you're trying to pry up a fucking plank board on the floor well they're probably not going to warranty that I, I would agree but you know they i would just say they they do warranty stuff from time to time um when it's like the manufacturer jacked up or they had you know a bad run of metal like could happen anywhere a bad run of metal comes into the country well, shit, dude, S-Wing hammers that they sell at Lowe's and Home Depot, you could get a bad one. And you hit, you hit the first nail and the damn thing breaks. You know what I mean? Um, so I would say maybe there's a warranty, Kyle, not to shoot you down. But I ruined all my fun, damn it. Yeah, yeah. But, but the warranty is like, 
come on, dude. Like the warranty is going to work for like the first month you have the tool and it's only mounted on your fucking fancy parade pegboard cabinet thing in the truck and it's never been used. And then you walk over and you look at it one day and you're like, hey, I didn't realize when this came in, but this has um, a, a crack in it or something. I, I, you know, I don't know, whatever. And uh, well, yeah, of course, of course, you just call the manufacturer and be like, hey, uh, we actually have a brand new tool. We haven't used it. And I noticed this like, oh, well, at least for fire hooks, I know they're pretty good. As long as you're not trying to bullshit them. Uh, they're pretty good about that. But again, you use the tool one time. You're I hate to tell you, warranty's over, bro. You know, like that's probably more you know, of how I should have framed that than than the way I did it. But yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to get at is what once you use it, the the factory warranty is gone. You know, you've you've put stressors on right. that that isn't covered by the warranty anymore. Yeah. Hey man, uh, you, you know, here here's the thing. You know, I, not, my department doesn't have a huge budget. So you know, my if my chief were to ever hear this, he'd 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 choke me out. But here's the thing, dude. It's a halligan. I, I grind on it. It breaks. Oh no! The world came to an end. Hey, you know what? Guess what? It, it's two hundred and two hundred and thirty bucks or whatever they cost. Two hundred and thirty dollars, dude. I, I mean, people have coffee makers at their house that cost more than two hundred and thirty dollars. You know, if, if the damn thing breaks, just buy another one. You know, if you're modifying a tool so extremely that it breaks during a critical operation, then maybe you need to rethink exactly how you're modifying stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, I, I, you know, there's tools out there. Some are better than others. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I guess I could ramble on a, about that all day. I think if you're buying a tool, using a tool, uh, grinding, modifying, whatever, you know, whatever, um, stick with a good tool, uh, that's got a good reputation, stick with a standard tool that maybe doesn't need that extreme modification to make it work. Um, you know, maybe just go with that. And if you're, you know, some places don't even let you mod do anything to the tool, you know, you're allowed to wipe the dust off of it and that's a, anything else gets you written up. So. Well, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today, Gary. Thank you for coming on and hitting all hey, wait, 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 wait. You're oh, going to have to edit this. I got, I got one more damn question, man. Okay. Yeah. I got one more question. No, one more question, and then I, but I like the way you were going with that wrap-up. You're just going to have to delete I, that part. I, I, no, I'm not <laughs> it. We're leaving it in. It sounds so much better that way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the one, the one thing I want to finish up with is forcible entry on a fire. Are you masking up before you force the door? Are you masking up after you force the door? And maybe this just becomes a new question we ask everybody. But, uh, you know, what's your thoughts? Uh, situation dependent. If, if you're talking about uh, single family dwelling and I'm standing in fresh air, um, I am, uh, I'm a guy that does not mask up on the rig. I know there's places that do it. They're successful. Uh, that's cool. It, more power to you. It's just not me. Um, so I don't mask up on the rig. I get it off. Um, and uh, I want to be able to have clear line of sight, clear communication. I want to be able to shout to a guy 50 feet away and have him hear me. Um, and that that's just my thing. So regarding forceful entry, what I'd say, Grant, is your uh, single family dwelling, fresh air outside, 
you know, it's got a, a 40 foot setback and um, I'm not going to be messed up. I get to the, the door we're going to use and smoke is chugging out of every crack. Um, I'm probably going to start forcing it and then maybe catch myself and say, well, maybe I'll hold on a second um, and, and then maybe throw my mask on. But all things being equal, I'm probably going to force the door, um, no mask, and be ready should some smoke come come pumping out. And, and I've had a situation where um, uh, we, we opened the door, I took a face full without a mask. We were inside a uh, multiple story uh, commercial building and it came hit punched me right in the face and i'll never forget it because um it basically had like a uh airway uh you know like uh what do you call it you know like a little reflex reaction where you like to choke yourself for a second because your body's like oh hell no i don't want to breathe that um so i had a little uh laryngospasm sorry I'm trying to think of it um and it lasted for a few seconds it was pretty scary and after that i was like wow i don't want to do that again but the conditions at the time, you know, this is 10 years ago, I, I didn't have my, the, the experience that I do now. And sometimes you learn the hard way. So given an inside condition or an outside condition with a lot of, lot of smoke pumping, um, I would consider masking up before I open. Uh, given an a interior hallway where the hallway is filled with smoke, um, I would probably mask up before I force the door. Given, you know, a fire on the second floor and the first floor, like literally like the curtains are pulled back. I can look through the window and see the first floor is clear. Well, of course not. I'm not going to mask up for that. I'm going to, you know, open the door, yell out fire department. Is anybody in there? And then, you know, do, do our thing like we would normally and get, get the line in place and get masked up and ready to search. So. Awesome. That's all I got, Kyle and Gary. All right. Well, Gary, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, it was good talking to you. Look forward to uh, seeing you out in the West Coast here shortly. Um, thanks, for guys, for listening. Have a great day.